Hello everyone, welcome to the place that gives you the most up-to-date and on-demand B2B sales content to ensure that you crush your quota. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. This is episode 5 to 100% to Quota, and today I'm extremely excited to welcome my good friend, colleague, and sales connoisseur, Kyle Duffy. Kyle Duffy is a sales partner at Gradient Ventures, and he has a lot of experience to share with us today on enablement and the things that early-stage companies should be thinking about when they're trying to build a successful sales organization. So without further ado, Kyle Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm here. I'm good. Always a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Excited, excited for this chat. Uh, you and I, you and I chat a lot about sales on a regular basis, and I, I figured um, there are a lot of things that I wanted to share with everyone in the audience um, because everyone can benefit from building exciting and successful sales organizations as you've been able to do in the past. So, let me start by asking you a little bit about your sales journey. Can you? Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, my, my career has pretty much been on at least a go-to-market side of the house between sales, marketing, customer success. So, and I've, I've jumped between startups as well as a number of big companies. So, probably most relevant to this conversation, um, spent about seven years building a B two B SaaS startup for hospitality. It's called Revenate. After that, joined Google on the enterprise side. So, you know, much different experience, but I think all, you know, it, I, I've always found it interesting to kind of jump between startup and big company because I, I think you learn so much absolutely at the early stage where you get to wear a lot of hats, but also, you know, at the later stage where you're dealing with just an incredible scale. You know, my most recent role right now. So I'm with Gradient Ventures. Gradient is part of Google. We're uh, Google's early stage AI focused fund. So we're investing seed stage and in, in A round. And my role is helping our companies with um, mostly with sales strategy um, a lot of times. So as you know, as they're looking to sale, scale their sales, um, you know, I'm plugging in to help or offer best practices to some of our, our later stage companies as well. That's amazing, Kyle. Thank you for being here again. And, and obviously that speaks to, you know, kind of the ex- expansive knowledge that you have in sales. And one of the things that I wanted to, you know, kind of bring you on the podcast for is, is to talk about sales enablement, because this is something that you and I have sort of talked about in the past. And the reason behind, obviously every company raises around, they're excited, they need growth, they need to hire sales talent. Um, and they need to move fast. Yet a lot of them don't use the right resources or the right structure and maybe even process to go from founder-led sales, which means there's a founder that got the company up until like maybe a million or two in ARR. And from there, they need to pass the baton over to a sales team and a sales organization that's going to scale. So I said a lot and, and I, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you think about sales enablement to take two steps back, where does your mind go automatically? Sales enablement can be a whole lot of things, and I think people define it a little bit differently. Um, you know, at the highest level, it's, it's any sort of activity that is helping sales reps be successful in their role. At this mm-hmm. early stage, the two immediate things that I think of are, are number one, training. So reps okay. need to be trained. I think we'll get into more about like what, what kind of training we're looking at. But also, uh, secondly making sure they're armed with the right collateral. So you're going to 
you know, send your reps out to the front line? You know, do they do they have the right collateral in terms of pitch decks? Can they speak to the value prop? Do they have case studies? Things like that. Who builds this collateral at first? We say that startups often don't have sales enablement. You know, and in many of these early stage startups, they don't have a title called sales enablement. It's just yeah, you know, some, yeah. not something that you know even makes sense early on. Um, because I found you know, founders are kind of the best to build out some of this collateral, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why we often encourage our founders to do founder led sales to begin with. So founders are out there talking to customers, selling some of the first deals through all these conversations that they have, they are the best equipped to create yeah. some of this collateral. And if they're not actually building out the collateral, they've at least got someone at their side. And, you know, at the early stage, you know, people are wearing a ton of hats. So, yes. you know, our founders often have someone in kind of a, a general operations role, it might be kind of a chief of staff type thing where, you know, that person can help them build out some of the messaging, mm-hmm. some of the, the sales decks, um, yeah. some of the competitor yeah. teardowns, things like that. Right. So it's often it's driven by the founders, and then as companies scale, you know, they hire their first reps, they hire maybe their first marketing leader or, you know, marketing manager, you know, mm-hmm. and it's some sort of collaboration between everybody. You know, I, I think at the early stage, like, like a lot of roles, it's a collaboration and yeah. Yeah. people are doing a lot of things and they're rolling up their sleeves. So I think it's, I don't think it can be only one person who's in charge yeah. of, of yeah. sales development. That's a great point, and I, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, just to recap, you know, the founder typically you know builds the business. They know the messaging better mm-hmm. than anyone, so they t- tend to organize you know the sales deck, and yeah. and that at the most minimum you know c- piece of collateral becomes what a sales rep has when they get to an early stage company, right? Because whenever they're going to do a demo or a presentation, they at least have, you know, some sort of like document marketing is added on and more messaging gets added. Case studies mm-hmm. get built, you know, anything gets built online that drives traffic and builds credibility, which is a good, good thing. I'm just curious in your personal opinion, why doesn't a company get a sales enablement person as a first hire, you know, to transfer everything from the founder up until the salesperson, assuming that the salesperson, you know, isn't as experienced or doesn't know the business? Hey, it's a fair question. Yeah, I, th- I personally think sales enablement is super important. Like, I always like to tell founders we have to get the foundation right if we're going to build on it. So if we're, if we're, you know, just raised a big round of funding and you're going to hire 20 reps, well, the foundation has to be there. Take the other side of that, you know, especially I I see our solo founders struggle with this. You know, there's only so many hours in a day and everything's a matter of prioritization at the early stage. So if they have to prioritize, you know, generally they're going to be prioritizing a role that's going to get revenue in the door. You know, they also have goals to hit. So it's like, you know, I think it's harder for them to see like, oh, by hiring sales enablement at this early stage, it's going to accelerate my sales growth by 50%. You know, when it's more like, okay, well, we need to get some reps in the door. Like, I think hopefully the founder has seen that they've done enough to -hmm. create the collateral, create the messaging that we can enable some early reps. And, you know, as much of my proponent of hiring sales enablement early, potentially could be too early there, too. You know, it, it, it potentially could be to their benefit to have. I always like to hire two reps early on. You know, and you hire those kind of builder type reps. We can mm-hmm. talk about what that means. Mm-hmm. 
get those reps in the door. They're on the front line. They're talking to customers. They're hearing, mm-hmm. you know, they're hearing about different competitors. They know the ecosystem. So then they can help sort of inform what sort of sales enablement materials they need, what kind of training they need as well. So, I mean, it can go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. I want to double click on a few things you said there. So two reps, um, there, there's a reason you get two, right? Cause you want to see performance. Is that the primary, you know, kind of comparison early on? So you just don't want to hire one rep because that's just, uh, it could be an isolated, you know, kind of performance event. And then you bet all of your company's like success or lack thereof on, on that person's uh, ability to sell. Uh, you summed up well. I, a couple things to, to hit on there. I mean, one, it's, yeah, it's either two, maybe even three reps. And one, um, the founder can train them up together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if they don't start the same day, well, if they're starting in the same few weeks, one another, yeah, then kind of it goes to the enablement piece. You can kind of yeah. get them trained up, get them up to speed together. Number two, absolutely. You got to, you got to check for performance. And it's not just, it's performance between the reps. And kind of probably the third point is if the reps are not succeeding, if you've got three reps and they're all not succeeding, well, it could be a sales enablement problem, but more likely than not, you've got some product product market fit issues you got to deal through so at least you've got that you've got that proof point for for that um and if you know you hire three and one's not performing well Mm -hmm. it's clear that you know you've got a rep problem yeah no that makes a lot of sense and and you mentioned the founder you know kind of training and spending time with both of them at the same Mm -hmm. time you know how does the founder uh as a best practice need to spend time with the reps on a regular basis are you seeing the founders being sort of like the de facto vp of sales up until like a certain point where they run pipeline reviews and all that kind of stuff. They do. They, they definitely need to spend time with the reps for sure. And you know, it's, it's founders who have been doing founder led sales and then suddenly they hire, you know, they hire two, they hire three reps and they can't step back from sales completely. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I, I make sure founders know this too, before we start the hiring process, it doesn't mean they can completely step back because sales at the early stage is such a crucial part of the business and the, and the, feedback you're going to get from customers like you, you cannot overlook that and you've got all this knowledge because the founder has been doing the sale so they need exactly. to impart that on their reps so exactly. they can't entirely step back but they're not they're probably not going to be at the level of like a vp of sales or a director of sales because you know they don't necessarily have that time um right. however they do need to spend time getting getting these reps up to speed as much as possible right if you were to give a, a founder a recommendation of, of where to find these first two reps, do they hire them from an established company? Do they hire them from like a similar early stage company? What's that profile that you know you would want to go after? Obviously, this depends on the product and many other things, but as a best practice, like what would you recommend? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of back and forth about this in terms of. Is it someone who comes in with whatever industry knowledge that they have, or is it someone that comes in with, you know, more robust sales experience? Maybe I'll start with what hasn't worked oftentimes is, is okay. hiring that person from big company, you know, very okay. big company enterprise. I won't name these companies, but you know, mm-hmm. we, we all know them um, where they are very used to, you know, reps are used to just being handed this playbook mm-hmm. and they say, okay, go execute on the playbook. Mm-hmm. And literally, I mean, they are told what to do, how many calls to make. Here's a script. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come up with anything where we need more reps who are very much builders. So, mm-hmm. like, I call them the frontier rep. See another, 
you know, other terms for them, but people who are entrepreneurial, you know, in terms of where they come from, ideally they've got, I want someone with some sales and customer experience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it needs to be super relevant to the industry unless you're in this like really niche industry that kind of requires that. It does help if they've got some early stage experience or maybe even like straight out of college, they created a company on their own. So you know that they've got some entrepreneurial drive and that they're, they can create, you know, not just materials, but kind of think through, Hey, what's the message? I'm going to experiment a lot and have that mindset of I'm building the business. Yep. Yep. I like that you say that. Um, I had an experience where I was the first sales rep company that today is a massive unicorn. And you have to have that, you know, willingness to build an A-B test and for things not to work from the get-go. And that can be frustrating. Can be frustrating for a rep that comes from an environment of uh, having a formula that's already created that works for them, where they sort of operate based off, you know, these guidelines and, and metrics and they automatically start hitting quota. I feel like, you know, what you're doing as an early stage rep is potentially not just like hitting quota and crushing, even though there's a strong possibility for that to happen because nobody knows what the right quota is at that stage, but you're truly finding product market fit. And I think that what I really like about that role and what I enjoyed doing this role, you know, a couple of years back was you have a direct responsibility to like talk to the product team, to talk to engineering, to say like, Hey, this is resonating. This is working. This is what people like, or here's how many deals we've lost because we haven't built this feature that everyone's kind of looking for. So if we build this feature, we can increase revenue by X. So, you know, that's a very different skill set and much more entrepreneurial than just, you know, transacting or, you know, kind of reading off a script to your point. So the question is, where do we find young Javier's? Where, where, where are the young Javier's hanging out? Do you have any cousins or younger siblings? <laughs> it's funny because I, I come from um, from a family of entrepreneurs. So for me, sort of building and understanding and have like that insatiable curiosity was was always what led me to ask more questions and and try to find out stuff. You know, once the flywheel started working, I always wanted to be like, all right, what's next? Like, how can I keep improving? And let me go run a team at that point. Right. But um, I I think the reps that thinking about me 10 years ago and my early sales days, I was always curious. I was always asking questions and trying Mm -hmm. to build. And I believed in the company for me, one of the biggest things, and this is a little bit off topic, but was really believing in the company that I was was going to work for because mm-hmm. that gave me sort of that drive to really care about what we were, you know, kind of building. And because also in a startup, in the early days, you're working long hours. So mm-hmm. you really have to want to do it as a salesperson because you're going to fail. Things are not going to work and you're going to have to iterate and your, you know, kind of persistence is going to be meaningful. Yeah, uh, so totally. Just, Curiosity. I, that's one of the key factors I look for too in hiring early reps. I think it's key. Um, one from a learning perspective, you know, in, in context of what we're talking about with sales enablement. Right. Also, in terms of being curious about the customer's business, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little hard to gauge at times on, um, you know, for interviews. But you know the re- you know when you're doing an interview and you the person doesn't ask any questions at the end, you're kind of like, huh, 
Are you red flag. About here? Yeah, red yeah. flag. Uh, red flag. I totally yeah. agree. Which, by the way, like interviewing early stage, right? Like, do you have any tips or, you know, a founder looking for, for, you know, this type of rep, are they proving their ability to persist? Are they proving, you know, their willingness to build or is it a combination of both? A little bit of both for sure. Um, the the ability to build, absolutely. It's something I look for and I want to make sure that something that, you know, some of the questions I ask is like, Hey, give me an example of something that you've created in the past from, from scratch and your process. I like I, I almost care less about the like result of it and just like yeah. thinking about the process that they've gone through. You know, even if it's like a project within college or like, hey, like mm-hmm. in the summers I set up this business, um, y- you know, something like that. So the ability to, to absolutely build and then, you know, the curiosity factor and have, having comfort, customer empathy so yeah. that they can relate yeah. to the customers and, you know, sit in the customer's shoes, I think is uh, is really crucial. Um, yeah. And then absolutely just hunger drive uh, yeah. is, a, is a big one. Yeah. No, you, that's, uh, you have to be in sales because yeah. obviously, you, you, you know, you're going to get hung up on. People are going to say no. So you got to keep going. You, you, you're going to want that, you know, kind of mentality, which, by the way, brings me to a quick point here. I've usually heard and hired athletes in the past, which tend to be extremely good salespeople. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a process. They understand, you know, kind of training for, uh, you know, getting to the to the game. Um, mm-hmm. you know, prepared. So, you know, they train a lot, they practice ahead of time. So for calls, you're practicing consistently and you're not just like, you know, kind of practicing when you actually get to the game. Um, and they have, you know, an insane work ethic. So in a positive way, of course. So the one thing to throw into that conversation, but mm-hmm. agree. once they get to the job, sort of fast forwarding, um, you know, we've identified who we want to go after, we get the right person, sort of bringing it back to sales enablement. One of the key metrics for sales enablement that uh, is used in larger companies is time to first win, Mm -hmm. right? Um, By you you get someone in the door, how long does it take them to actually close a deal? What's common from what you've seen, Kyle, for you got a rep in the door. Again, this can vary very differently between segments, SMB or mid market, but what's, what's common for a rep to come in and close their first win? Or first deal? It varies a lot, for sure. I I tend to like to throw reps into the deep end, meaning, you know, before they're probably even feeling ready, get them on the phone. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about mm-hmm. that kind of training process, for sure. Maybe, I don't know. Now's the time to, to hit on that. Go but, for it. Go for it. Yeah. So, in terms of training, so, well, yeah, let's hit on that. In, in terms of training, let's make sure that they get really good product knowledge. I, I think that's the number one Number one thing to focus on early is get them to speak the product and do that by, you know, setting with the founders, sitting with any product engineers who know the product really well. But one thing I really like to have them do is answer support tickets. And if they're not answering the support tickets, shadow the person who is answering the support tickets. Because, you know, if you're forced to get in there and figure out the product, especially if a customer is asking you, well, mm-hmm. you got to figure it out. So then, you know, if they can at least speak to the product and ideally they can speak a little bit to the ecosystem, you know, every, every vertical, every industry has kind of got its own vernacular. So right. be able to throw some of the buzzwords out there and then right. get them on the phone as soon as possible. Um, right. and that goes to, you know, to closing. I mean, it, it varies a lot between companies, but, um, with SMB, you know, deals that have quick turnaround, you know, like 30 day lead times, 
throw the bogey out there. Like, hey, we want you to close a deal in a month. Now, it yep. gets aggressive, absolutely, yeah. but you know what? At least put it out there. Like, more yeah. likely it's going to be six weeks to eight weeks for SMB, you know, that kind of deal cycle. And then, you know, for deal cycles that are more like the 60 to 90 day deal cycles with higher ACVs right. and the 25 to 50K range, um, again, giving aggressive bogey, like, you know, quote, closing a month. Or, or sorry, <laughs> not that aggressive. Closing a quarter. So let's let's try to get you a deal in the door in a quarter. And usually I'll find, you know, a deal that might even be somewhat warm or kind of a layup to get, mm-hmm. you know, so they can put a, put a score on the board. And I right. think that gives them a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Something I, I really relate with, which is unique for early stage sales reps, is their ability to, you know, kind of work with other departments. When I shown up to some sales situations in the past, I remember my boss at the time at Zenefits told me like, Hey, go talk to engineering. And I was like, well, I'm not here to do engineering. It's like, they're going to be your best friends. Um, and I quickly learned that, you know, the relationship between sales and engineering in the early days, and if there's product, the product marketing or anything, you know, already established on that side of the house is critical. Because they build the product, so they know the ins and outs, and they're able to tell you the, here's why this button's there, here's why we thought about this. And it's not for you to become, you know, a feature seller. As a salesperson, obviously, you need to know all the features, but then you have to, like, you know, walk back to your desk and now think about value, right? And sell it as, like, the value that all these, you know, ins and outs from an engineering standpoint, like, are worth or, or what they'll do to, to get someone excited. Yep. But, I, hey, I totally agree with that, Javier. And, and one thing, it's, it's really important for founders and sales leaders to think through this. I mean, I, I've learned the most when I've actually sat in the same room with product and engineering. You know, now we're in a remote world and a lot of teams are fully remote. So it's like, how do we mirror? that experience in a, in a remote way. Yeah. And another one that's been interesting that I've, I've, uh, I've both been part of and used for new reps in the past has been get a demo from engineering, get a demo from marketing mm-hmm. and get a demo from a salesperson if that person's there. And you're going to notice like mm-hmm. very like obvious it. differences between like all the different pitches and demos. But it's going to help you understand the different perspectives of why the product does what it does and like get you to like, you know, learn it quicker. So all these things like, I mean, we're, we're talking about like enablement practices that perhaps without an enablement team or resource, you should, you know, kind of be doing, you know, kind of in, in the early days. But question comes up to me to ask you, you know, should a company, given the lack of bandwidth, hire an external enablement partner? Is, is that a yes or no? And when to do that if 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 there's an opportunity to do so it can be helpful for sure i I think you have to first think what do you want out of an external partner Mm -hmm. so kind of going back to you know in in terms of training up a rep like they really need to know the product like i i don't feel like i can focus on that enough and they really need to know sort of the ecosystem that they're selling in meaning Mm -hmm. the vertical who are your competitors what pains are your customer feeling? And I feel like mm. external partners are probably going to be a little less helpful on that front. Mm, However, take the other side of it. And, you know, especially when it's maybe technical founders who have not hired a sales team before, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know what documentation is needed. They don't know kind of what messaging, they don't really know the nuts and bolts of selling and managing deal cycles. 
then an external partner can be really helpful. And, you know, in yeah. full disclosure, Javier and I work together on, on a number of companies, you know, where he's coming in as kind of a consultant and, you know, I've seen certainly the documentation, you know, some of the, the sales pitch materials, um, uh, competitor teardowns, objection handling documents. I mean, those being able to create those documents is, has been absolutely crucial and it's helped accelerate deal cycles. So, I mean, that that's really crucial. Or if you're hiring early reps and you put them into, maybe they have not been trained. So they don't come in with any experience in training. So they haven't been through like a Sandler course or they haven't had yes. challenger yeah. Yeah. or they haven't worked for a bigger company that's had a structured program in place. Well, they probably right. need some like real basics of yep. how to manage deal cycles. And right. that's when, you know, someone like, you know, Javier has a bootcamp, for example, like something like that can be really mm-hmm. beneficial and get reps up to speed all that much faster. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the plug for quota, Kyle. But I, I find that it's helpful, you know, when we work with companies as to what you've mentioned in the past, right? The the status quo is a rep early days gets collateral, which may be a you know half-built deck or a fully completed deck. You sit on demos and maybe you know what your competitors are doing. But the next step to that is is where I feel like it helps to solve for because I, I come in with a mentality of solving for metrics, right? So mm-hmm. so you mentioned shortening sales cycles. The founder may or may not know that closing a deal in 10 months is too long. Right. I mean, I think that the obvious founder uh, would say like a 10 month sales cycle for a deal that has an ACV of 50K is extremely long. So like, how do we reduce that sales cycle, increase ACV or like focus on those metrics and growth may or may not be the things that they're currently solving for. And, and, and you talked about a couple of different sales frameworks, which are good for specifically a $50,000, you know, kind of sales cycle for someone mm-hmm. that's dealing with, you know, kind of multiple decision makers, stakeholders. Um, that's not just like, you know, people mistake that that's just like picking up the phone, doing a presentation and following up. That's not how it works, right? There's a structure, there's a process for the conversation. You're going to handle objections that you need to manage them accordingly because those may become the scapegoats of why your deal doesn't close. And ultimately, you know, the rep that's on their early days that has that experience and knows about it, like closes a deal, but it's not just to do a demo and and follow up and put it in the CRM. That's what I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. If you were to pick, you know, kind of one area to focus, you know, kind of from a training standpoint, because we've just, we dug into that a little bit, right? So having a structure, managing different decision makers, you know, shortening the sales cycle, like what would you focus on? I'd probably go back to training uh, for products, you know, making sure the reps are super up to speed on product. But let me, let me do kind of like a um, addendum to that, you know, products crucial, but it's not just about the features and functionality. It's about how your product is driving value for the customer. So being able to speak to customer value and and that customer value prop, you know, we go through messaging exercises with some of our companies to make sure that, you know, across the board that everyone, founders, reps, marketing people are speaking to that that value Mm -hmm. and speaking either to the, the, pain that you're kind of easing on one side or the, you know, 
pleasure you're bringing in terms of the, the, you know, bringing driving revenue or something like that, you know, making sure that you're all really well aligned around that. And it sounds like it's a, a simple thing, but you know, for reps to really get that messaging, right. It, yep. it takes time and practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which by the way, do you have any suggestions like are reps actually practicing all day when they're not demoing or, or what, what's, what's sort of like the, the rule of thumb? Because, you know, reps love to transact and love to talk with people on the phone, but they hate to practice. So like, what's, what's the best (laughs) practice there from your standpoint? Well, that's why I like getting reps on the phone as quick as possible. So yeah, I mean, right. second week there, like, all right, let's, let's get your, I hate to call it the elevator pitch, but let, let's get the value yeah. prop kind of messaging down and right. let's have the rep call. They have to make a hundred calls right. and every one of those calls, if they don't pick up and you know, 90% of the time they won't, you got to leave a voicemail and the voicemail. Mm-hmm. Okay. They probably won't even return your voicemail, but the rep gets to practice. It's an opportunity for the rep to practice their pitch. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. If you were to establish a training program for the early days, and this will be my final question. Kyle, thanks for, for letting me grill you. What guidance do you have for, for founders to, you know, kind of put some infrastructure in place for, you know, some sort of enablement program in the early days? What what I would say, it's not a one and done kind of thing. So learning can be baked into the culture of a company. And I, I think that's really crucial, you know, sales and beyond. So something interesting we did at our last company, I mean, we were a little further along, but um, we created this IQ kind of series. So it was, you know, a pretty extensive um, quiz of, of questions. And, interesting. you know, the whole company had to take it on a quarterly basis. And it was gamified a little bit in terms of, okay, it's probably a hundred questions. And, you know, some of it had to do with the products, some of it had to do with our, our customers, some had to do with kind of broader vertical that we're selling into. And it's gamified a bit in that, like, you have to hit a certain score and then you get like a sweatshirt and you're considered kind of the highest tier. So, I mean, some of it was baked into the, the learning in the culture. Yeah. Early yeah. stage though, like that's, yeah, it goes back to priorities. Like you've got ton to do. So I think having, you know, some kind of raw version of that where you've got, you know, some yeah. kind of idea in terms of how you can train on product. I know I keep going back to this, but, you know, they have to know the product and they have to know how to speak to the value prop. So, I mean, that's kind of what I really doubled down on early for these founders. Yeah. No, I, and, and I certainly love it. I think that, you know, um, especially in B2B SaaS sales, right, there's there's a lot of competitors out there you're you're racing or like competing for time with decision makers and all the different departments so i like that you double down on product because your ability to you know portray what pain you're solving and how that product is going to bring value i think Mm -hmm. is what's going to ultimately make you win again i i think that that's where we're sellers you know, as a rule of thumb or like generally fail at is where they're just like, you know, pitching, 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 and just bringing you all the features. And this is why we're great. And this is why we're not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you miss out on, on a lot of the things. So totally. And here's the other thing. I mean, uh, customers are doing a lot more research today because you can, mm-hmm. um, they go to the website, they research your products. So they, you know, ideally they already have a sense of what you do. So then you get on the phone with them and you know, a scarcity of attention. It's hard to get people on yeah. the phone. But when you do get them on the phone, you want to be able to answer those questions. Yeah. So you get a rep on the phone who can't answer any questions. So they go, Oh, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to you with that. 
that's better than making up an answer. But still, like if you if you have the buyer's attention, like you want to be able to answer some of the questions. So oftentimes, actually in the training process, like I'll set up, you know, you've got your high target list, you've got your kind of longer tail list of prospects, like set them up with a bunch of prospects that you don't really care that much about. Mm -hmm. So then the reps are have a chance to get on the phone with customers early that, you know, it's kind of lower risk, but they can figure out, okay, here are the questions I'm getting. And then they need to figure out, Hey, here's how I'm going to answer those questions. And then they get on the phone with really top prospects and they're good to go. Like they yeah. can, you know, they can objection handle, they can talk to their competitive set, they can answer questions about the product. Love it. I love it. Um, Kyle, it's been nothing but a pleasure to have you. I I feel like we could go on forever because you just mentioned a couple of things that I wish uh, <laughs> we would we would double click on, but we'll we'll leave that for another episode. But I think that you know uh, your knowledge, exposure to so many different companies, obviously gives us a lot of enlightenment into you know how founders can focus on bringing in the right talent bring two people to the team, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, and, and sort of bring them on, um, with the right collateral and, and right, you know, kind of product exposure that I, that I do a good job summarizing that. You got it. Yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. It's always, uh, always fun talking Javier and, uh, yeah, always love talking sales. And I think, uh, you all over at Quota do a, a fantastic job. So do the uh, sales community a good service. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Kyle. And uh, to our audience, as always, thank you for listening in. As you guys know, we produce a lot of sales content in English and Spanish. Uh, we host the monthly boot camp to teach the entire sales playbook from go to market to close. And of course, our core business on the consulting front, we still help companies grow. So check us out, Quota.io. Thank you for listening. This was episode five. We'll see you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, we look forward to continuing to give you the best resources and the best tools to get to 100% to quota. The top of the leaderboard is waiting for you. See you next time. Three, two, one.